The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, you are indeed a God of great glory. And we say thank you for not hiding that glory far off where we would not encounter it, would not know of it, would not experience it. You've made a world and shown us your glory and your power in that world, and in particular, you have sent us a glorious Christ, a resplendent Messiah, a Savior. He is beautiful. He is majestic. He is sweet and near and good. And we say thank you for him and for the work that he has done to open our eyes and to draw us to you in whose presence is fullness of joy, pleasure forevermore. You've done that. You are good. Glory be to your name. And, Lord, we also say thank you that you are not content to let that be the end of it, but you intend to spread your glory over all of the earth as the waters cover the sea. You're engaged in something. You're about something. You invite us to be involved with you. And towards that end, Lord, I pray that you would open this passage to us this morning and teach us from it. You would make clear what's here. The most important things that are here, you'd make them clear to us. And with that, you would move us and draw us into your heart, into your work. Would cause us to see you in all of your glory and then to be engaged in the glory-spreading work you are about. So have, have your way with us here this morning. Spirit of God, would you have your way with us here in this room, clear away distraction, Give us focus, move us, change us, grow us, and do so for the glory of this glorious Jesus and the God into whose presence he draws us. Thank you, Lord. We trust this time to you and ask you to move in it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. just received a newsletter from a missionary couple that our church financially supports. Perhaps you got it too. The couple lives and works in a country whose government has been historically pretty resistant to the message of Christianity. A number of religious practices that we take for granted here in the United States are restricted or outright prohibited there by law. And that's what the newsletter was about. They had received word that by the end of this month, by the end of February, their church and the other churches that they have started or are in partnership with and working to help mature and grow, they would no longer be allowed to meet together for worship. And this is a problem for them for many reasons immediately. They don't know what they're going to do in two weeks. And it's a concern, a larger concern, even a fear, because... This signals a change, a turn, and they don't know what's coming next from the government. So they asked us to pray. And the mail also brought a catalog from a clothing retailer. They're having a spring sale, of course. I wonder if there's any shirts. I kind of need some short sleeve shirts. I wonder if they have any. And the news is full of White House turmoil and NBA trades. The Cavaliers got rid of half their team, as did the White House. That was a joke. And then on the TV, there's the Olympics. And with the weather feeling like spring recently, a bunch of my neighbors have been in the yard working, doing spring work, and it makes me think about my to-do list, all the stuff I've got to get done. I'm kind of working on that. The stuff that comes across 
our desk, so to speak. The Olympics and the catalogs, the news and the newsletters, we're invited to watch and to cheer and to shop and to spend and to pray. And I suspect for many of us, for me at least, how I'm talking about that right now is how it impacts your life. There's just stuff coming across the desk. There goes the prayer letter. There goes the news. Here goes the the sports. It's all kind of thrown together. And like I'm talking about here, there's there's a bunch of stuff interesting in its own right and, and noteworthy. But by the end of the day, we haven't really given much thought to any of those things in particular. And certainly... Certainly not central, certainly not what grips me, certainly not what I go to bed thinking about. And our psalm for today aims to change that for us in a good way, in in a right way, in a positive way. That's the way that God changes us, his people. Good and positive ways. He is not manipulative. He doesn't play the guilt trip game. We do that with ourselves, but, but God does not seek to manipulate people, us. He wants to change us for sure. He wants to change us. But he does it in good and positive ways. He wants to change and align our hearts to be aligned with his heart, or we might say to enlarge our hearts to match up with his heart and what he's concerned about. He doesn't seek to to trim our hearts or or restrict them or, or reduce them so that we cut off all those things that are good and and right and fine and fitting concerns of ours. It's fine to think about clothes, and it's fine to think about sports, etc., etc. God doesn't seek to shrink our hearts so as to cut those things out. He wants to enlarge our hearts so as to include more. So that we end up with, with hearts that are concerns of His. In particular, what we're going to look at today, his concern to see his glory reach out and encompass those ones out there, beyond here, to spread his glory out everywhere, to the ends of the earth, to the people who live at the ends of the earth. That's what we're going to look at today. The spread of God's glory beyond just here, out to there. And my hope is that as we look at this and see that come out of this psalm, that this really would happen today. And then as you take this psalm and incorporate it into your own prayer life, that that this would happen, that your heart would be enlarged. And that you wouldn't, that you wouldn't, that you wouldn't feel this time as a Like, I got your arm and and did that to you. That's not how God works with you. But that you would let this happen. And that God would grow you and cause you to to value and to treasure and, and to want to be engaged in what he's about around the globe, which leads to the first of two points I'm going to make from Psalm 96. Here's the first. The scope of God's saving work is global. And ours should be too. The scope of God's saving work is global. Ours should be too. Many psalms, as you read them, and and you're aware of this, you've seen the psalms at all, many psalms have many things in common. That one before us today is no different. It resembles much of what we've seen already with its calls to sing and calls to praise. So it's easy when you read a psalm to kind of hear similar things and miss what's different, miss what's unique. Very easy to overlook it. But there's something here in this psalm that's really different, and it's the largest takeaway for us this morning. This is the biggest thing that I hope we, we get and go out with. Coming out of last week's psalm, Psalm 95, you just heard Bob, as he, as he read it and prayed through it, you hear certain things in Psalm 95. Worship the Lord, that is Yahweh. That's his name there, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
Worship the Lord. He is our God, the great King, King above all gods. It's verses 3 and 6 and 7 of Psalm 95. And how should we respond to him? Not like your fathers did. The last part of that. Verse 9 and following, in the wilderness wanderings. They rejected, they disobeyed, hardened in heart. They perished in the wilderness. It's the story of Exodus. The history of Yahweh's dealing with his people, used to instruct his people, how to pray and sing Psalm 95, how they should respond to him. This is all Moses, wilderness, the God of Abraham, all very Israelite in focus. People who are God's covenant people. And then Psalm 96 is placed right after it. Right next in the songbook of that covenant people. And who's Psalm 96 about? Who are these covenant people? So it's the covenant people that are going to take up the psalm book. They're going to be singing and praying through it. Who are these covenant people going to find themselves praying and singing about as they work through this on into the next psalm? As soon as you see it, it's obvious and it's quite surprising. Verse 1, sing to the Lord all the earth. That is, sing to Yahweh, this particular God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Sing to the God of Moses, everyone. Verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, among all peoples. And who is to ascribe glory to the Lord in verse 7? The families of the peoples. Who is it in verse 9 that's to worship the Lord in holiness, to tremble before him? All the earth. Verse 10 and beyond, we say among the nations, he judges the peoples, the heavens and the earth, the sea, the fields, the earth, the world, all the peoples. That's who's mentioned in this psalm. All the way through. Singing and praying, Israelite worshipers are going to talk about the peoples, the nations, and there's no mention of Israel, Jerusalem, Judah, Abraham, Moses, none of that. Not once. They're praying about the peoples. And to be clear, when we see the word peoples or nations, we should be thinking people groups not political countries like the United States, people groups, and not even individual people, but peoples, groups of people. That, that's who is in view here. People groups, that those who are in some way identified culturally, they, they share common language, common values, common history, and in some way they have a, a way of saying, we are an us and everyone out there is a them. That's a people group. Often religiously and linguistically, sometimes even physically apparent that, the, that they're different. And so technically then, of course, the Jewish people would themselves be a people. Those who are ethnically Jewish would be a people. But in the Bible, that word peoples, nations, it's always talking about non-Israelite, non-Jewish others, the Gentiles. Those who are not in covenant with the Lord. They're the focus of this psalm here. And that's what's unique and, and really the main thing to, to take here. This is some different, as you're moving through, you get some different focus here on others. Emphasized even a little more, if you notice the flow, out of the end of 95, you get the story of disobedient Israel leading into Gentiles singing God's praise. I wonder where Paul got that theme in Acts and Romans. Here and elsewhere. Emphasized by where it's placed. And given extra, extra emphasis when you notice something else. Psalm 96 that we have right here is a deliberately reworked version of a psalm that David wrote to sing when he brought the ark 
into Jerusalem. A very Israelite context. David, Ark, Jerusalem, tabernacle, thinking about building the temple. Jewish, 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 Jewish. And if you go to 1 Chronicles 16 and read the song David wrote, you'll notice there's a whole bunch there about Israel, the tribes of Israel, Judah, all of which was cut out when Psalm 96 was composed and put right here. This is deliberately slanted to talk about the peoples and the nations. Deliberately placed here, right after talking about Israel. The point is plain. God wants his people, who are already his people in covenant relationship with him, to lift up their eyes voices, to, to open their hearts and their minds and to see the peoples of the earth, all of them, all the people groups, all the tongues and tribes and nations who are not yet in. They're, they're still out. And to say to them, oh, you peoples, sing to the Lord. The God of Abraham, sing to the Lord, come with us, bring us sacrifice, and come into his courts along with us and worship this God. Sing to this God. Sing a new song to him. If we can identify what's new about that song, it's that the Gentiles are singing it. The Gentiles are singing about this Lord and what he has done particularly to save them. That's really different. They're going to sing a song that's never been heard before about this great God, the God of Abraham, who brought in Gentiles and saved them. We, we invite them to sing of that great, glorious God, but we invite them. How are they going to hear about this God if nobody preaches to them? Wonder where Paul got that idea. So we say to ourselves, verse 3, declare his glory among the nations. Let us declare his glory, his marvelous works among all the peoples, and chief among those works is his salvation work. Let us go and bid them and invite them and urge them and give them sweet reason Sweet reason to sing of him. We talk about this is, this is God and this is what he has done. And in particular, he's done something to draw you in. Sing, sing, sing to him, all you nations. To put it differently, you're tracking with this psalm if you're gripped by the greatness of God and the need for him to be ascribed glory by other people who do not yet do so. Not just by us who already are his people, but by others who do not at the moment do so. The scope of God's saving work, this psalm says, the scope of God's saving work is out there, global. This is a missionary psalm. And so the right response to it is what? The right response to this psalm, the God-desired effect of it, in us who are praying it, is that we would move towards the nations. That we would move, not just read and acknowledge, but that we would move towards the nations with this good news of God's saving work and give them reason to sing of him. The right response is for us to engage in global mission with him 
to save a people for himself from every tongue and tribe and nation. What might that look like? I'm going to talk about it in two ways, philosophically and generally, and then practically in particular. Philosophically in general, what this looks like is, is shown to us in the New Testament. Congregations pray and give resources to send out willing and able individuals and teams to cross the barriers that exist. To deliberately cross the barriers, that line in which some people say, we are an us and you are a them, they're going to say, I'm going to cross that line and come in. Come in there and talk to you about this God. So, preaching on a Sunday morning in a church like this right here is not missions work. I'm not doing missions work right now. It's important and it's biblically mandated, but it's just not missions. Nor is our discipleship ministry here in our church. Nor is the very good and worthwhile very good and worthwhile, Salt Lake City Rescue Mission. Use the word mission because it's a, it's a job, it's a task, but it's not missionary work. It's not missions. So I don't want to go too far into what can become a large philosophical discussion, but I've gone this far so as to make an, what I think is an important point. The church and our local church, we have many, many, many ministries that are good and right and worthy and important. Preaching, discipleship, witnessing to our our neighbors in our backyard and and raising children if if you're a parent and, and building marriages if you're married. All those things are good and right and important, but they all tend to be kind of like right here. They are very close to us. Sometimes they involve me, myself, or my loved one right next to me. They are so close and, and so easily dominant of vision that we can lose sight of what's beyond. They're, they're so close to us that they can block our view of the global scope, the full global scope of God's saving work. Missions involves sacrifice to go out there. Now, sometimes the out there can be in your own zip code. And and it is often in America and is for us. But there's still there's still the line even if it's even if it's geographically close there's still a, a barrier that says us and them, language, culture. So to go out there might not involve a whole lot of geographic moving, but it might involve a whole bunch of cultural moving. But it involves moving, crossing barriers that the true God of the Bible can be known. Going to them with the goal of seeing a worshiping community established and thrive amongst the peoples such that we don't have to invite them to come cross the line to us. We cross the line and go to them. We go into their world, whether that's right down the block or at the end of the earth. It's hard to cross that line, and so many of the ministries that we do that are good and important are, are very close to us and can block our view. And so I'm, the philosophical discussion right here, this part of the sermon, is so that we get alert to that and notice. We may be very well heavily, thoroughly engaged in really good stuff and missing the other half of the picture. God's work is global. His scope is global. All the peoples, all of the nations. We need to lift up our eyes and see that philosophically, specifically and generally, specifically and practically. What about us? What about you? Well, the the old division of pray, give, and go still works. If you kind of break it down to those three words, pray, give, and go. There's a lot under that. I can't talk about all that. We have a missions committee that tries to think through how to help us with all those categories. So I'm not going to try to talk about all of them, but I'm just going to mention prayer because after all, this is a psalm meant to be sung and prayed. 
prayer, you personally, specifically, can be, please be, you should be engaged with this work prayerfully. It's foundational. It's a great place to start because oftentimes as we pray, as you pray through Psalm 96, if you were to commit to pray through this, I bet you a dollar your heart would start doing this. I bet you two dollars your heart would start doing this. Prayer is an excellent place to start and it will end up growing our hearts and aligning us properly, however that would look for you personally with the giving and the going part. Prayer is a great place to start, but it is not just a place to start. It is the work itself. I want to read part of a quote to you that's a little long, so I had it photocopied and put in your bulletin. I, I don't know if I made enough of them. I don't know if everybody got one, but there's a, there's a copy of this. If you didn't get one in your particular bulletin, you can contact the church office. We can get one to you later. I'm going to read part of it, though, for those who are listening along and don't have a bulletin in front of them. This is a quote from a letter written by a missionary in 1916. He's somewhere in Asia, and he's writing to somewhere back in the Western world. And he writes, this is excerpted from the the full quote, I'm feeling more and more that it is, after all, just the prayers of God's people that call down blessing upon the work whether they are directly engaged in it or not. It means whether you're in Asia or not. Paul may plant and Apollos may water, but it is God who gives the increase, and this increase can be brought down from heaven by believing prayer. Skipping down. If this is so then Christians at home can do as much for God's work in foreign countries as those actually on the field. Finally, solid, lasting foreign ministry is done on our knees. What I covet more than anything else is earnest, believing prayer. And I write to ask you to continue in prayer for me and for the work here, end quote. What's he saying? You can do it in your living room. You can do this work with me 10,000 miles away from me. Because it's actually God who does the work and you can call out to him and he will give the increase if you will pray. So I invite you, I covet, I'm I'm becoming increasingly convinced that that's the whole ball game. I'm going to walk, he says, I'm going to walk down to this village and I'm going to talk to so-and-so, but the whole thing is decided by whether or not God gives the increase. And you can ask him just as well as I can. We here we don't just start so as to get grown to, incre- to, to participate in the work. We here, as we pray, participate in the work. And that's not super complicated. But I got a newsletter this week that said the government's going to prohibit us from meeting in two weeks. We don't know what to do. We're afraid the younger Christians are wondering now what happens when the government begins to move. Pray for them to remain faithful. Pray for God to act. We invite you to pray. Did I? Well, yeah, I knew I was going to preach this, so yes, I prayed. (laughs) But really, of course, the question is, would I have? Did you? I covet more than anything else earnest, believing prayer. I ask you to continue in prayer for me. And if you did, how many times did you? And with what amount of vigor? 
this is the part where I am not doing this. Okay? So relieve yourself of that. I'm not trying to do that. What I may be trying to do is say, we might have something to repent of. Or maybe something to, to lift up your eyes and see. I, I never thought of it like that. I can grab a hold of the God who also sees what's going on there in that country, there in those churches. I can grab a hold of him and I can tug on his sleeve and I can ask him for something that he would say yes to and would actually change that reality, this reality, and eternity. Might God grow your heart and expand to see that, yes, you can. He wants you to. His scope is global. Yours, ours should be too. And certainly, maybe, there, maybe there's going involved in your future, and maybe there's giving or greater giving involved, but certainly, you can be engaged in the work on your knees in your own house. Pray. Pray that the nations would sing. Would sing of what? That leads us to the second point. And the second point also, also, oh, I just hope, I, man, oh man, would the Lord take this and blow out the side panel of your heart and, and cause it to just expand, to see this. I'm not going to be able to talk about this well enough, but maybe God will take it and grow something great. Here's a second observation. The great glory of the Lord is at the heart of missions. The great glory of the Lord is at the heart of missions, at the heart of God's global saving work. Glory is at the heart of the message proclaimed in missions. Verse 3, declare his glory among the nations. That is, the parallel next line, his marvelous works among all the peoples, chief among them being his salvation work. That's why he's great. That's why he is greatly to be praised, verse 4. This is who he is, the, the God who is great. This is what he has done and this in particular is what he has done to draw you in, his saving work. That's the message that we talk about. This is God glorious. This that he has done is his glorious imprint, his glorious work, his glorious reaching out to you to draw, him in, to draw you into him. The Lord is great and the Lord is glorious. That's the message and the reason for it. So right at the heart of, of the message itself is glory. beauty and excellence. And it is at the heart of what we might call the, the goal or the desired outcome. So it's the heart of the message and the, the heart of the goal of the message. What we want to have happen. We want those who are at the moment outsiders, out there, we want them to sing, 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 verses 1 and 2 and verses 7 and 8. Ascribe, ascribe, ascribe. That is, mean, the word means give or assign or by, by word cause to come forth. And the grammar indicates it's a continuing giving, a continuing ascribing. We want them to become ascribers. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. We want the peoples of the earth to bring an offering to him to worship him, verses 9 and 10. So we say to them, the Lord reigns. He is highly exalted. He has created all this. He has done excellent, marvelous works. Chief among them is saving work. And so we invite you then to come and ascribe to him, to declare glory. The nations would say that. 
That's the goal. So the message is we declare his glory, and the goal is that they would then come out of this other end, glory declarers. Glory is at the heart of it, which, which might raise a question. Aren't there some other things we should talk about too? Aren't there some other, I mean, a few other biblical themes, I think. If it's about declaring glory and that they would become glory declarers, where in there do we talk about, like, sin? That seems biblical. The law, that's biblical. Right, we've got to mention the law and law-breaking. And I think we should talk about the need for repentance. That seems biblical as well. And shouldn't the goal, I mean, isn't the desired outcome that they would see the law and see sin as law-breaking and see judgment and see God's provision of Christ and then grasp that and trust that, believe it, grab hold of it, repent, believe. Isn't that in there somewhere? You're saying it's, it's about declaring glory and about becoming glory declarers, but what about the other themes? And this is a great example of why the Psalms themselves are not sufficient in themselves to teach us all of Christian doctrine. Because yes, all that's important. That is the saving work up in verse 2. It's the gospel and response to the gospel. For sure, yes. So nothing that I'm saying here, don't, don't, I don't want to miscommunicate this. And the reason I'm saying this is that there are some folks in, in Christian circles who call themselves Christians who miss this. Who skip or move past talking about the cross who miss, skip, move past talking about law and law-breaking and sin and repentance and just talk about glory or blessing or renewal or kingdom and say, what you need to do is believe that and you become a Christian. No mention of sin, no mention of the cross. That's wrong. That's a problem. So don't misunderstand me. I am not there. We must not be there. Nothing I'm saying here replaces the proclamation of the simple gospel message. But what I'm talking about is something that's beyond it or above it. Or we might say beneath it and at its heart. The heart of God's global work is glory. And if you grab this, I think this is what May stretch, may stretch your heart and, and, and further your engagement with missions. Because it can feel like to us, and this gets hard because nobody likes being the bearer of bad news, it can feel like to us, and if you've been on the other side of this with someone coming to talk to you, it can feel like to you that what we're really about is sin confrontation. and mess cleaning up with a little bit of anger salted in there. If you guys would get on board and, and believe this and start obeying this, then there wouldn't be all this trouble. There wouldn't be beheading of people in parts of the, of the world. There wouldn't be awful treatment of, of young girls. There wouldn't be the, the wickedness that so irritates Get the kind of grimace, at least on your heart, if not on your face. If that's what we're supposed to be doing, going out there and confronting sin and confronting evil and, and proclaiming the truth, like explaining a message and, and calling people to, to be different and to give up their evil ways, if that's the heart of it, who likes that? Sign me up. Again, we, we must talk about sin. It's, it's at the heart of, of the gospel. It's at the heart of what's glorious about the gospel. 
that the righteous one would have mercy. We have to talk about sin. But that's on the way to the goal, to the heart of it. Because at the end of it, what we're after, what he's after, is the glory of the Lord covering all of the earth as the waters cover the sea. And conversely, sweetly, all of the earth, all of the creation, particularly the people glorying in God and enjoying him forever. We are the bearers of good news. Both the, the, the end goal of where this all is going, it's glorious. And how it is that God made it possible for you to get there. The gospel is glorious. Glory is at the heart of this. For who he is and for what he's done, he is due glory. It is right and appropriate and fitting that God be honored and that God be worshipped and that he be adored and admired and respected and reveled in and sung of and praised. We do when we ascribe him, when we give him glory. We're saying outwardly, somehow with, with lips and with lives, we're saying outwardly what is true in our hearts. And if it's not true in here, there's hypocrisy at work. We're saying what's true in here, we're, we are ascribing it and declaring it out there. You are beautiful. You are splendid. You are majestic. You are glorious. You are merciful and you are gracious and you are kind and you are wise. You are full of strength and it is all bent to do good. You are glorious. That's what we are ascribing and declaring. We worship you. We are fixated on you. We are geeked out by you. We love you. We're, we're consumed by you. We ascribe that kind of glory to him because that is right. He is do it. That's what it says. He is great, marvelous, and worthy to be praised. It is right that we do that. And it is gracious and loving and glorious that God would call us to that kind of glory because that's what our hearts are made for. He calls out to us, come to me if you will, come and worship, come and rejoice in me. Because it's right, and because that's where you find your life. You'll find freedom from idols, all the worthless idols that can't do anything. I reign over them. Come to me. You find beauty and majesty that you've been chasing in, in every love of the earth. Where there is beauty and majesty in the loves of the earth, they're just a reflection of the great majesty and the great beauty, me. Don't drink from the stream. Come find the source. Find equitable rule and find justice and find harmony and find it in the only place that exists and the only way it can be experienced when your heart is enthralled with me. That's what God calls for when he calls for glory to be given. It's right and it's good for us. It's life for us. That's God's gracious heart that he would call for what's right and call for what's good for us. And that's the gracious heart that found out you. Most of us here are Gentiles. Probably not all. But the great majority of us here are Gentiles. But the heart of God in Psalm 96 was real and it pressed into people who already were in and the glory of God grabbed them and caused their hearts to expand and they said, let us go tell of this God to the nations, to you. You were outside and now you're in and you know the Lord of glory. Do you see him? Do you see him? Verses 11, 12, and 13 from the perspective of the psalmist are all in the future. 
The heavens will be glad and the earth will rejoice and the sea will roar and all that fills it and the fields exult and everything in it and all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. The creation no longer groaning, but singing. Singing before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth, to rule the earth. From their perspective, there's a day when the Lord comes and he reverses the curse. He brings in the kingdom in all of its fullness. And this, this guy's looking down the corridors and seeing it down there somewhere in the future. Brothers and sisters, we live in the future. Do you see? Do you see the glory of the Lord, the great marvelous works of the Lord overturning the curse? Not, not completely, not fully, but we saw enough of this in Luke that it, that it should be present to us. And we see enough in our lives, it should be present to us. That this is, the God, this is the God who has grabbed hold of the earth and is saying, I am in the process right now of renewing it, of fixing it. I'm bringing everything to heal under my authority, says the Lord. Do you see that? The message is the declaring of the glory of God, and the goal is that the nations would then become declarers, having seen the glory. But that's not just the message, not just the goal, it's also the motivator. And this is how God seeks to expand you, not by twisting your arm, but to grow your heart by showing you glory. If, if you don't see that, this is all we got left. And that's terrible. But God seeks to change us in good and in, in sweet ways. To open up your eyes to cause you to behold his glory, to, to to read this psalm, to pray this psalm for yourself and then for those ones out there. Lord, show me splendor and majesty. You've brought me into your sanctuary. Show me your strength and your beauty. Show me your glory. Do you see that? Ultimately, I'm saying to you, I'm inviting you, I'm urging you, Will you engage with God's global mission work and particularly do that by prayer? But what I first want to say to you is, will you sit at the feet of Jesus and behold his glory? Because if you don't do that, the second won't come. But if you do do that, you'll, you'll climb on board with, with a, a moving train. God is, a, is about this. This is his mission. He's calling in the nations. It's a great work to be involved in. It would see your heart grow. It would, it would bring great reward to you and great glory to the Lord. Join with him. But do so first by sitting before him and beholding his glory yourself. My hope, my, my prayer for this is that God would take this psalm, he would take what I've said about it this morning and he would, would work it so that it goes better and bigger and grabs you to sweetly change you. To sweetly change me. That we would be a people who are not only not throwing away, but not only concerned with what's here, but what's out there. That you would pray with him. That the nations would see him for their great good and for his great deserved praise. Let me pray towards that end now. Father, we have brothers and sisters in a faraway country who don't know where they're going to meet to worship in two weeks and don't know what that means. It will be hard for the work to continue there. It will be hard, harder 
with these rules and maybe with others for your name to be proclaimed and for your glory to be known and for the nations to be made into gloriers. So will you intervene, please? Will you intervene so that no self-glorifying government can stop you from spreading word of you, from drawing people to yourself? Intervene. We're not sure what that looks like, but we ask you to provide a place for them to worship. We ask for you to to steady the nerves of Christians there, to give them faith. But show yourself strong. Show yourself wise. Help them. And help us here, Lord. Would you grow our hearts? Would you stretch, stretch us in, in our perspectives and where we have weaknesses or blind spots? Will you grow them and expand them? Will you first, I want to ask, will you first show us your goodness? Will you grow in us desire then that that goodness would be known and declared and make us a people who pray? Maybe more beyond that, but I want to, I want to just ask for that this morning, that you would show us yourself and move us to pray that you would be known. Build our church, please, in this way, Lord. You're, you're sovereign. You're, you're the director, and so we yield it to you for the specifics of how that works, what it looks like, but that's what I ask you for, that you would grow us in this way as a church. You are great. You are due much glory. Gain it from us and from others, and use us in that process, please. We trust this to you and say thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.